The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hello, my friend, and welcome to another episode of Negotiate Anything. Thanks for spending time with us today. It's listeners like you in 181 different countries that have made Negotiate Anything the most popular negotiation and conflict resolution podcast in the world. I'm your host, Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer, mediator, professor, and the director of the American Negotiation Institute. Before we get started, I have two quick questions for you. Is negotiation a critical part of what you do? Do you need to resolve conflict and persuade at work? If you answered yes to both of those questions, visit our website to learn more about our negotiation workshops. We've traveled the country working with professionals just like you, and we'd love to have the opportunity to work with you too. Check out the link in the description to learn more. Ken, thanks for joining us again today. Thank you for having me, Kwame. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And um, the second time will be even better than the first. So for uh, you listeners out there, um, Ken and I, we were we had this podcast scheduled a couple of weeks ago, and the podcast was so good, and the points Ken was making were so great that he blew up my computer. And so, <laughs> so this is take two. So I appreciate your patience. Not my pleasure. Yeah, so how about you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Okay. I've been in the financial services industry for a little over 30 years. I've worked predominantly for three large institutions, Morgan Stanley, the Blackstar Group, and Credit Suisse. Uh, and I've really uh, been a change manager um, for most of my career where I work with uh, different uh, departments within the, the company. And throughout my career, I've done FinTech uh, system implementations. I've done organizational changes. I've done compliance change. So really what I've focused most of my career on is helping affect change within organizations uh, through a, a, a number of different mediums. Fantastic. Yeah, we're excited to have you here today because um, today we're going to talk about project management. And uh, I have to apologize to the listeners because it's crazy that I haven't done a full episode dedicated specifically to this, uh, knowing that I have a lot of project managers out there in the uh, the audience. So thank you all for pushing me to, to, to do this uh, topic. But yeah, the, the focus today is going to be on negotiating milestone deliverables. And there, there are three main things that we're going to focus on. And that is number one, the difference between facilitating decision-making versus actually making the decision yourself. Number two, negotiating with senior management, which is always important. And then number three, bringing the correct mindset to the table. So let's start off with number one, with decision-making, facilitating versus actually making the decisions. So what do you mean by that? Yeah, so that's a, uh, thanks for that. One of the things that I look about when I'm a, as a project manager is, and what I actually enjoy about my job is, is I never have to make a decision. What I do is I facilitate the decision-making process because what I need to have is the working group and the people who are going to be living with the, with the work after I'm done be accountable. And if I start making decisions, uh, they're going to start questioning those decisions later down the road. But if I got them to make those decisions themselves and I help facilitate that process, then we're going to have a little bit more ownership and accountability for the people who have to live in what we call the business as usual, or BAU. Because at the end of the day, a project manager goes away. 
It makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. And especially when you think about it from a sustainability perspective, it seems as though you want to be able to leave the, the people in a position where they're self-sufficient after you leave. Yeah, and I think the other important thing is, is that a good project manager also has to check their ego at the door. You may think you know the answer, and sometimes I'll facilitate sessions where I guide the people to the answer. But if I start um, getting my ego in the way and trying to make decisions for people, um, it's not going to work out because they're going to stop thinking themselves. They're going to just rely on me making those decisions. And then down the road, they've got someone to blame if it doesn't work out. Uh, and what, what I would like to do when I manage projects is get people in the room. And whether it's a milestone or it's trying to resolve an issue or address a problem, it's really making sure that you're facilitating the session where the people are engaged. So they're arriving at what the right conclusion is going to be. Right. It makes a lot of sense. And it reminds me of the definition of negotiation that Alex Carter, one of our uh, previous guests, brought, uh, mentioned. And she said she likes to think about negotiation in terms of steering people and steering conversations. And you just like you said, you're guiding them in the right direction. And it seems as though if you do this the right way, you're actually teaching them how to negotiate in the process. And then once you're gone, again, they're, they're in a position where they're better able to have these types of conversations and come to the right conclusion in your absence. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think, like I said, it's very, very important that you have that engagement and that accountability uh, with, with people when you're trying to do that. And I think one of the things to do is, is also understand who your constituents are within your project. Because I call project management influence without authority. Uh, no one works for you because they'll have day jobs, but you also need them because they've been appointed on the project team. So you have to deal with things like, I don't have time, I have a day job. And it's really how do you make sure that you're actively listening to people and making sure they're being heard? Because I think a lot of people just need to be heard. I, you know, let them explain themselves, make sure that you're engaged, that you're making good eye contact with them, and even leaning forward if you're in the same room together, but really making sure that they are being heard um, and get to that answer. And, you know, and if you don't feel like that's the right answer, um, you can continue that discussion. But at the end of the day, they're the ones who have to live with uh, what you guys end up implementing. Right. And it seems like it would be very difficult in your position where you are, like you said, using influence without authority, where somebody could just say, you know what, Ken, I don't work for you. I'm going to do something else. And um, when you run into situations like that, where you're finding it difficult to move people because they recognize, well, I don't answer to you. I answer to somebody else. What type of persuasive tactics do you utilize in order to get them back on board? Yeah, I think one of the things uh, going back before you even start a project is making sure that you have proper governance structure set up. And by that, I mean is who is the executive sponsor? Who is the most senior person who is uh, holds the purse strings, who is, uh, gives you the funding and gives you the resources? And from there, what you do is you try to figure out how many work streams and how many different uh, avenues of work that you have to do. And you really have to go to these people's managers and start talking about to them, this is how much time I think I need from them and get the commitment of their bosses. Uh, and once you do that, then you have an avenue that if someone is dragging their feet or saying they don't answer to you, I have a, a structure of senior management that I can go to because while I'm maybe holding 
daily or weekly working group meetings, I am going to be having a periodic, uh, what I call steering committee or key senior forum. And I have avenues to reach out to people if I'm not getting what I need. I will first start with the person because I want to understand what they're going through. So what I like to do is when someone comes to me and says, or oh, they're digging their heels in, or they say they can't do it. My first answer is, is how can I help you? My, that's my job is to help facilitate not only the decision-making, but how they get help. Um, so once I try, I try to do that because I'm on their, their side. And a lot of times when I run projects, I, I symbolically have everyone around the table. And if I have consultants, outside consultants, I have everyone throw their business cards in the middle symbolically to say, you know what? I know we all work for different departments and different companies, but for this project, we're one team. And what we need to do is work cohesively. And if you are running into a problem, um, let me know and we'll try to resolve it. If you get a very stubborn person, then I have to move it up what I call the food chain of the governance structure and get that person back on board. This is great. Yeah. And um, listeners, I think I have my five star point. And so remember, listeners, the challenge is when you hear something that is very valuable or you think that you can utilize, um, make that your five star point. And if you think it's good enough, give us a five star review. And so for me, mine is the recognition of the different negotiations that are occurring. And I really loved what you said about how we need to kind of deal with these problems before they happen by creating a good governance structure. And uh, I think that's something that people often miss. So when a problem uh, arises, they don't have something in place to fall back on. And especially if you're in a position where you're trying to utilize influence like without authority, where I think most people are in, in their careers, I think it's really important to understand what the next level would be. But the thing that you said that was really interesting is that you have that structure in place just in case it doesn't work. But diplomacy first is, is your rule of thumb. And so you say, okay, if there's a problem that I'm running into or they're running into, I'm not going to utilize the leverage from the governance structure. First, I'm going to figure out how I can solve their problem. And so you start off by saying, how can I help you? I think that's really, really, really powerful and incredibly persuasive. And so typically after you lead with that type of question, how does the conversation go? Well, I, I think that's a, that's a really good point. I think what I'm, what I like to stress is, is that there's a human element to change that people are adverse to. So right away, I've got a day job. I'm not really going to be benefiting this. It's almost like the analogy I, I put to people is when you re-roof your house, you're spending a lot of money. And when you're done, you don't feel like you got any benefit. Well, I didn't leak before, but I'm now not leaking, but I would eventually would have leaked. So a lot of people don't see that benefit. And I think the most important thing is people being heard. They, if, if they feel that they're engaged, and it's also getting to know people a little bit more on a personable level, and you're understanding what they're, they're going through with their job, uh, and they may be going through some things outside their job that, you know, it's not of your business, but if you understand and try to, as Atticus Finch said in uh, To Kill a Mockingbird is, is you want to be able to walk in that person's shoes. So I try to understand the angle that that person has and they could be and I've dealt with people who are nasty and who are you know not happy and just disgruntled and I try to keep a very positive attitude and um, and not lose my cool and you just have to stay even keeled make sure they're listening and go from there does your company invest in professional development training 
If you believe that your team would benefit from a negotiation workshop, all you need to do is go to our website, fill out the workshop request form, and then we'll set up a time to chat. These workshops are completely customizable and we've done them all around the country. Negotiation and conflict resolution skills are beneficial across all professions, but they're especially useful in procurement, purchasing, sales, sourcing, and contract management. Our calendar is filling up quickly and we even have some workshops scheduled for next year. If you think you might want one, I'd suggest reaching out soon so you don't miss out. Check out the link in the description to learn more. And now, back to the show. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Laura Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. Great. And, and let's roll into the second point, which is uh, having a conversation about the negotiations with senior management. And I would imagine that has different challenges and, and different difficulties. And so what are some things we need to keep in mind when we're having those higher level negotiations within the project? Yeah. So the first thing what happens is when you get senior management involved is they're the ones who actually came up with the project. You know, so someone if, as a project manager, some senior executive comes up with something strategic, something regulatory or, or something that needs change. And the first thing that I do is, is that I need to make sure that they are willing to devote their time and they're willing to devote um, their other senior managers at their level. As we put that governance structure again, as I go back to that, is, is that, you know, I tell them we're not going to the project will not run well and we're not going to really proceed any further until we have that governance structure. So once you start talking about that, you get the commitment. And then what you need to do is you need to basically tell them that my job is to run the day to day. I'm going to get you involved only when I think it's necessary and when I want to give you updates and ensure as much transparency as possible. So we start discussing that and then invariably it leads right to the funding question and a lot of the funding questions that I get uh, I've struggled with in my career is is how do you arrive at uh, negotiating how much funding you're going to get I know a lot of people will try to come up with an estimate and say well I'm going to need two million so I'm going to ask for three because when they shave it back I know I can live with two and I'm sure you've dealt with this a lot of times, Kwame, but as, as a project manager, you're usually part of a larger funding pool. Um, and it's, that's where the negotiation comes in because I like to be open and honest and not ask for more than I need. I do build in what I call a contingency. Um, no project that I've ever run uh, has not used a contingency. So I usually try to, you know, estimate about 20 or 25% and be very honest with them and say, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to ask for the 3 million because I know it's 2 million, but I do need 
you know, an extra, you know, three or $400,000 at contingency. I don't want to use it, but I just want you to know that I may need that type of funding because based on historical projects that I've worked on, there are things you don't know. It's, it's almost, you don't know what you don't know. And you are going to come across things that are no fault to anybody that are things that you trip over or you, uh, you didn't anticipate or it just became more expensive. Right. I think that's really great. There's so many good things to, to dig into here. So when it comes to the, the negotiation with senior management, as you said, they're the people who came up with the project. And so you run the day to day. And what I've seen um, from some of the people that I coach and um, just the articles that I've read is that there seems to be a bit of an uptick in micromanaging now that a lot of people have been forced into remote work because the managers are in a position or the leaders within the organization are in a position where they never saw their workforce looking like this and working like this. So there's a little bit of fear and they feel like they need to be more involved and it's coming off as micromanaging. And so for people in this new era, and you're, when you're working remotely and you're dealing with somebody who is trying to get into the day-to-day -day operations, when that's more your role, what can you do to start to create some of those boundaries to make sure that everybody stays in their lane so people can work efficiently and effectively? Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, when you're working remotely on projects, the three key things that I see is engagement, accountability, and communication. Um, so the, the communication really goes up and down and sideways. Um, so I think the first thing you need to do is gain the confidence of senior management by what I would say at the beginning, over communicating and letting know that, you know, you're around, but um, you're managing it. And I think over time you gain the confidence of the senior management. Um, I, I'm finding the opposite in some cases where now that we're remote, senior manager doesn't have time for a lot of these types of projects. And I think that's a worst case scenario because me as a project manager, what I need to do is know that senior management is not, not necessarily always negotiating, but if I need assistance, I need to be able to go to senior management. And when I start a project, that's what I tell them. I'm going to be asking you for help at some point and I need you to be around. So when I call a meeting, um, I need you to make sure that you can attend to it. And what you don't want to do is call them for ticky tack things all the time is you want to make sure that you communicate um, when it is a real issue. And what I do, quite frankly, very simply is when I'm sending an email to a senior manager, I actually put it in the subject matter, you know, immediate response required all in caps. And I don't abuse that. So when they see something from me that has all caps in the subject title, uh, decision needed, immediate attention required, meeting required. They know that I'm not the person who's crying wolf, um, that I, am the, I need something from them in order to, to, to get that. Makes a lot of sense. And again, I, I want to go back to this point because I think it's, it's a recurring theme and I really want to make sure people get it. And it's the fact that you are essentially pre-negotiating a lot of these issues before they come up. And it shows that you're incredibly prepared. And so just quick thing for the listeners, if you haven't downloaded your negotiation preparation guides yet, please do, because you can get up to over 15 free negotiation guides that can help you to prepare to make sure you're having these conversations at the highest level. And when we talk about the, the pre-negotiations that you're having, um, I'm seeing negotiating for their attention. So saying, hey, there's not a problem now 
but at some point there will be a problem. And all I'm asking for right now is your commitment to be available. That's incredible because it, it triggers commitment. And if you think back to Robert Cialdini and his book, Influence, when somebody has committed to something in the past, it makes them more likely to stay true to their word because they want to be seen as somebody trustworthy. Um, you're pre-negotiating for funding. So you say, utilizing candor, which is incredibly powerful, not used enough in negotiation, but still very powerful, saying, this is how much I think I need. And I'm sure you, you bolster that number with objective criteria just to legitimize it. And then you say, however, things happen in project management, I probably will need three hundred to $400,000 more. Not asking for it now, but when it happens, I want you to have my back. And again, you're pre-negotiating that at a time where there's less emotionality that could be tied with the issue. Mm -hmm. And then the last one, again, going back to it, is the governance structure. So just in case things don't go, you aren't going your way in these discussions, you have something to fall back on. But by pre-negotiating these issues, you are making it so that the future negotiations that might have been more difficult are a little bit easier because you've already addressed the issues. Yeah, and I think the key there, Kwame, is managing expectations. If you manage people's expectations on a project um, and don't slip them any surprises, they're going to really appreciate it. And I think the other thing is, is that a good project manager does a lot of things behind the scenes that no one sees. So for instance, when I tell you that um, I have an issue and I've got to go to senior management, if I have six or seven members on a steering committee, I'm having individual conversations with each person before the big meeting that we're going to discuss it. I want them to be all well-versed. I want them to understand what the issue is. And as a project manager, I have to then also give them alternatives. Okay, we have a problem. Here are three things that I think we can alleviate it. But I go into that meeting and everyone already knows about it and they're already well-versed about it. They're not hearing it for the first time. Because I think, especially now with people remote, you have to effectively use senior management's time. You don't want to waste their time. So you try to give them a heads up. So when you're in the meeting, everyone's had it, thought about it already and you can get to a conclusion about what that alternative decision is, you know, fairly quickly. This is great. And when we're communicating now, um, we're in a stage where email is, is the most prevalent and probably the most annoying form of communication. Maybe I'm just talking for myself, but I, I hate email. <laughs> One of my clients told me yesterday that she finally understood how I felt about email when she heard me describe it as the dark abyss. Um, it's just not my favorite place. But I know, especially in project management, there are a lot of people who need to be on the same page and communicating effectively. And sometimes when you send an email, there's so many emails that people get now that it's really easy to get lost in the shuffle. And so when you're trying to communicate day-to-day -day, um, messages and um, big-time updates, how do you utilize email or do you utilize a different platform for different types of communication? Yeah. Um, well, I have a rule in when I run projects is I call it the three email rule, which basically means is never write the third email. If you've written an email to someone and they've responded back and the answer has not been given or you haven't gained consensus, you got to pick up the phone because that phone call will alleviate probably 10 more emails and alleviate any confusion from anybody. So that's number one. So three emails, don't write the third email. The other thing is now that we're remote, what I try to do on projects is 
do a couple of things on email is, is that I'm asking for a positive confirmation that you have read what I have just sent. Because I think what ends up happening is, is people's inboxes are flooded. So one is I can't abuse the privilege of sending emails because they're going to say, oh, wow, Ken just sent another email. That's the third one today. It can't be that important. I'm not going to read it. So I have to be a little bit more selective in my emailing. But also, I'm, I'm now that we're more remote, and I don't know, I can't know if someone's reading it all the time because I can't do a drive-by at their desk and ask them, is that I, I kindly ask them to please respond. Uh, and, and many times, if it's important, I'll even put a return receipt on the email to make sure that I know that it was opened. Nice. Very nice. Yeah, I, I like the way that you're very um, precise with the way that you utilize email. And this, especially if you clearly communicate that to the other side, uh, to the people on your team, uh, they're going to be on the same page and it makes communication a lot clearer. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I, and I think the other thing with emails is, is that it's a one-way communication. You gotta be really careful um, because it could be misinterpreted. You know, you can, you can read it. I'll never forget the first time that it, I didn't realize I had the cap locks on and I sent an email and someone emailed me back saying, why are you yelling at me? And I had no idea that all caps meant you're yelling. And that's not me. I, don't, I, don't, I, I remain very, very calm. As a project manager, my job is to manage all of the very bumpy ride of the project. And senior management should really only kind of see some, some, a little bit smoother ride because I'm dealing with the things that I feel I have to deal with. And I'm only getting them engaged when I feel I need to get them engaged. Right. Makes sense. That's great. Well, with the time we have left, let's hit the third point, which is the mindset. So as it relates to the difficult conversations that you're having in project management, what are some things we need to keep in mind with our mindset? Um, I think it's one is um, keeping things in perspective, that we're not at an operating table here, that things, while they are important and we may be dealing with an issue, uh, the issue is not life or death. So I, I encourage people. And again, I think that asking for assistance is a source of strength, not a weakness, because you realize that you need help. So what I try to do is have that mindset is that I'm here to help. I'm here to guide, coach, whatever we need to do in order to get the success of the project to where we need to be, but also realize that um, it's not life or death. And I think having that perspective, I, sometimes people come into my office and they'll go like, Ken, I, I got, oh, we've got a big problem. And the first thing I'll ask is if anyone was injured. And as long as no one was injured, we're going to solve it. And what I love doing is grabbing that whiteboard and sitting down and helping problem solve the issue. Because everything is solvable. Uh, we may not like what the solution is, but we know that we can get through it and make up time, make up the funding, or whatever the solution is, we, we can get there. I mean, I don't think there's anything that we can't address, you know, properly within a project. That makes sense. And one of the things that we've seen through various studies is that emotions can be contagious, whether it's mirror neurons, where it's directly from somebody else, or just in general, it's out there in the ether. People start to, to pick up on the emotionality of the other person and they start to mirror each other that way. Um, sometimes you might have the right perspective where you say, hey, nobody's dying, but the other person might say, 
the, the sky is falling. And so how are you able to maintain equanimity under duress when somebody else might be in a situation where they are starting to lose it over what's happening or not happening in the project? Yeah, a couple of things. I think you have to take them out of that environment temporarily. And I'll, I'll tell a quick story. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was running um, a fairly large regulatory project at the bank that I was working at, and we were up against the deadline. And the difference between a regulatory deadline and internal deadline is, is very, very different because a regulatory, you have to get it done. You know, if it's an internal, you can probably convince some people that they can live without it for another week. But a regulation, you've got to be compliant. So I saw a bunch of my, my group completely frustrated. And I happened to walk by someone in a cubicle eating one of those um, black and white cookies, you know, where it's chocolate on one side, vanilla on the other side. And they, they were biting into it. And they actually had a piece of chocolate and a piece of vanilla at the same time. And I said, you know what, this is an opportunity that I have. I went out to the store, I bought a dozen black and white cookies and I held a mandatory staff meeting at three o'clock. And I pulled everyone into my office and I said, we don't have to sit, but this is something that's very urgent that we, we need to address. And I drew a big circle on my whiteboard and made a line through it and colored in one side. And I said, I know we have a lot going on, but I just saw someone eating a black and white cookie the way you're not supposed to eat a black and white cookie. And I, I, and I went through a, a whole thing around what you really need to do is you need to, the reason a black and white cookie is you can break it in half and you have to decide which half you're going to eat first. You cannot commingle. And the reason I, and I had a whole thing and I handed out the cookie and we kind of tested it and I just want, I needed some levity during that time where people realize that, yes, we're working through an important deadline. We're going to work hard and get there, but let's remind ourselves again of perspective. And I think I, it was almost, I felt like a, I, I just put a little hole in a balloon and the, and the wind, the, the air just came out and everyone got back to their desk and was refocused and we got there. So you need a little, you know, comic relief. You need a little bit, but I think the most important thing is, if someone is irate, you got to let them be irate. Because if someone is angry, or very, very angry, they're incapable of listening, right? So what you need to do is you need to really take a step back and let them feel that being listened to. Be that active listener. Let them diffuse it because they're not going to address you properly until they feel they have, they have calmed down. So that along with a little bit of levity, I think, and, and also them not seeing me go crazy or lose my temper or anything like that. I need to be even keeled and many times just a cheerleader. Give them a pat on the back because the other thing I think that organizations do a better job is compliment your employees. When they do a good job, it doesn't cost anything and it goes a long, long way. So encourage them, give them some levity, and make sure they're being heard. This is great. Yeah, I, I love that story because one of the things that you're showing them is, again, a perspective where, listen, this is important, but it's not that serious. I think that's important. But also perspective as it relates to time because we're 
living in a world where busyness is almost like a, a status symbol. How busy are you? I'm busier than you. Oh, well, you think you're busy, you know, and, and it just gets worse and worse. And so when people are constantly in that frame of mind, they don't feel as though they have the time to, to slow down and have a, a meeting that's just telling everybody to relax. And they don't feel like they have the time to communicate something effectively because they're under so much self-created pressure. And so by demonstrating that in, in, the, in that meeting, what you're showing is that, listen, yes, we have enough time to get what we need to accomplish done. And so we also have enough time to communicate effectively as well. And I think that just creates an atmosphere where listening can flourish and where listening flourishes, relationship flourishes, uh, flourish as well. And so I, I think that's a really great approach to uh, decreasing some of the negative tension that could be in the air that's, that's negatively impacting the decisions that are occurring, while at the same time giving the people the thing that they can't give themselves, which is the ability to be heard. Yeah, and I agree. And look, you, you have bumpy roads when you run a project. You know, the longer the project, the more bumpy roads that you come across. And it's just being using that toolkit that you have based on your experience. And the only reason I have it now is I've been doing it for so long and you just kind of pocket and remember how you dealt with an issue in the past and try to mold it to something that's similar that's happening now. Um, it's not all rosy. It's sometimes it gets very difficult. Um, but I think if you kind of, as the leader of the project, you're remaining even keeled. Uh, and again, I'm also a big advocate of just making sure you're treating everyone with dignity and respect. And I think people appreciate that. And I think it's very underrated and could be utilized a lot more. Um, and hopefully what people are going through now, people will come back a little bit more kinder and a little bit more respectful uh, and not lose it so quickly uh, when everyone's back. That's true. I hope so too. <laughs> well, fantastic, Ken. Thank you so much for joining us. And before you go, tell the listeners how they can keep in touch with you and about the new company too. Oh, thank you so much. Well, so uh, my company is Kenneth Michael Consulting Services. I can be reached at uh, kmconsulting.llc. That is my company website. And what I essentially do is I do change management. So if you have any uh, projects uh, in your organization that require change across a multitude of different projects, like I said before, fintech compliance, organizational change, um, reach out to me and I'll, we see how we can help you. Fantastic. Ken, thank you again for coming on the show for the second time. Kwame, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Congratulations, you've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. Keep learning, keep practicing, and keep getting better. Your relationships will improve, your career will soar, and you'll have the confidence you need to get the most out of these crucial conversations. Again, thank you for joining the team. We're excited to have you, and I will see you in the next episode. I'll catch you later.